Well, let me get into God's word. One of the things that's true about worship is when we reach up to God in worship, we reach in to grow, or we reach out to give. And I want to give us a chance for worship. And a real simple uh, conclusion to our sermon series. Next week, we're going to start in October. I'm doing a sermon series on how to be an adult in relationships. So have you ever had those conversations where the person you're talking to seems like they have the emotional maturity of a five-year-old? Maybe the emotional maturity of a 15-year-old? There is a stunting. I talk to people when I, I ask them about uh, their conflict relationships, that there's this conversation that says, well, really the challenge is not what you know to be right or wrong or how to interact, is that you're behaving, you, you got stunted. You stopped maturing emotionally and spiritually when you're 15. And there's some great strength in our, our adult, our, our development as children and youth. But in October, I'm going to give you some very practical steps uh, to apply God's word about what it means to not only grow spiritually mature, but how to be an adult in those relationships. So, this should be good. But we're wrapping up uh, September in the yes. And I don't even have to use, I will reference the scripture here in a minute, but I, I know it well enough, it's not even something, I mean, it's just, it's a story to tell. And we've done the yes, meaning this. I can't, they don't, we haven't, and if you change the sentence to add yet, you'd be amazed at how much more positive the word is. When somebody says, I can't do that, and you add yet. Let me give you the difference between choice. This is what it looks like in terms of choice. If you add the word yet to something, it changes everything. You can add but, and that makes it negative, or you can add yet, and that makes it positive. So go ahead, Jenny, give me that next one. When we add the word yet, all of a sudden it becomes a future possibility. How many of you have said, but I can't do that? That's past. You couldn't do that. You haven't been able to do that. But if you say, I can't do that yet, all of a sudden instead of putting that word but in the front of the sentence, you put yet at the end of the sentence, and you can. It's a future possibility. Now, it's a dotted line because you don't know how it's going to turn out, do you? You don't know how it's going to get better or if it's going to get worse. Right? I mean, it's just like baby dedication, right? It just got worse. Dad was that strange man holding me. And why did he do the Simba thing? I don't get that. <laughs> I can't wait. Down the road, by the way, can you not envision his, his, his baptism? I'm going to come back to this moment and be like, in Jesus' name. <laughs> so the yet is what can change. If you add yet to something, it makes things with hope and possibilities, Right? Now, this is the, the simple summary, if you haven't been with us. Uh, the first Sunday of this was trying to encourage us as a church to invite people who don't go to church yet. Now, I shared this. Go ahead, Jenna, give me that next one. The, um, the Luke 14, the great banquet. And I asked you to invite the yet. And here's the problem. You'll say to yourself, but if I invite them, they don't go to church. But they don't go to church. And I say, they don't go to church yet. You say, well, when would they go to church? And I go, well, maybe if you just shared with them what church means to you and shared a story with them. That it's just, I actually had somebody text me this week and had some challenges, obviously, as a family. And somebody texted me this week and I said, you know, one day I can't wait to, I can't wait to get to Sunday. I can't, I just, Sunday is like this recharge in my heart. It's just a great start to the week. Well, Luke 14 says, don't you decide for the master who's supposed to be in the father's house. You decide as the servant to do what the master commands. The master commands us as the servants to go out to the country roads, to the ways, and invite people 
into the banquet room. Now when they go out, they ask people who were originally invited and they turn the master down. So the master said to the servant, go invite anybody, anybody who's willing, the blind, the, the lame, the weak. And so as a servant, we go out and we invite people to just say, hey, I don't know where you're at, but I know that, that there's room in God's house. Would you like to just come up here to church sometime? So we talked about some of you even weeks ago and through August. Then Mark chapter 4 is how when last week I said you prepare for the not, the not yet. And for some of you, you got to make a space in your life for God to do something. Mark chapter 4 is where there's fertile soil and then there's a footpath that isn't fertile soil. And some of the seeds fall among the briars and some of the seeds fall among rocks. And most of us hear that, we go, gosh, I hope I have fertile soil. It's not something that's just lucky. It's you preparing the, the, the heart, the soil, for God's word to do something. And so I invited you last week, maybe you need to exit out some of the things that are not healthy habits in your life. And you need to introduce healthier habits that are in your life. I had a father once say to me, I don't go to church, so I don't believe in God. And I said, I don't care. Does your family go to church? Yes. Then why don't you go? You've heard me say this a thousand times. My son played soccer. I don't believe in soccer, but I went to every soccer game that I could. I'm sorry. I do like soccer. Now, I'm not saying I don't like soccer. I'm just saying it wasn't my favorite sport, okay? <laughs> you get my point? You go to things that your family will benefit from, and who knows that it might make a difference in your life. So that was my sense of us preparing, getting some of that other stuff out of the way and focusing on some things that could make a better way for that not yet. You don't know what your life will be down the road, but if you still want to make it better, and you don't even know quite what that is yet, prepare your heart for that space for something to happen. Now today, I want to share with you where that eventually will lead us, that Jeremiah 29, 11, the best is yet to come. Now most of us have heard this, this verse before, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. Everybody loves this verse, and everybody takes that out of context. Let me put it into context for you. We all of a sudden read this like a vending machine. God, I know the plans you have for me. Zing! And I can't wait for the blessings to come out. And then all of a sudden, you read the context of the scripture, and it's not an immediate response. It takes time. Let me go back with a little bit of history. Go ahead. Jen, I'll give you the history of the Bible in just kind of a three-minute um, sense. You can go back and read the Old Testament. You read Jeremiah 29. We're talking about that verse today. Jeremiah, it's not linear. There's not prophets writing books. And then they come one after the other. Jeremiah is actually contemporary of Daniel and Ezekiel. What Jeremiah is dealing with is that they had a first exile. So basically, Babylonians came into Jerusalem. They seized the city. And they took the best and brightest Jewish people over to Babylon, the city of the Babylonian Empire. And so the people left were some leaders and some of the prophets and King Zedekiah. And they're left there sort of trying to figure out what they should do. So they all get together. And you can read this in Jeremiah 27. And they have this big meeting hall. Well, God says to Jeremiah, when you go there, I want you to put the yoke upon your neck. So literally like the picture, Jeremiah shows up to this this meeting of leaders, the ones that didn't get exiled, and he shows up in front of King Zedekiah, and he's wearing that yoke, but would yoke two oxen together to pull and till the soil, right? Jeremiah 27, God tells him to do this, and he shows up to this leadership meeting. Now, they're, here, they're trying to figure out, do they go into battle against Babylon and Nebuchadnezzar, or what else do they do? 
Now Hananiah the prophet gets up. And Hananiah in Ezekiel 28 says, I'll tell you what we need to do. We need to fight against Nebuchadnezzar. He says, God will break the yoke of Nebuchadnezzar, right? The yoke on us that they have overwhelmed us. They're oppressing us. God will break that yoke and give us victory. So he's telling King Zedekiah, let's push back. Let's fight. Let's do this now and restore our nation today. But Jeremiah, wearing the yoke, says to King Zedekiah and the prophet Hananiah, he says, listen, you can listen to all these soothsayers. But I'm telling you now, if you don't be patient and allow Nebuchadnezzar to be Lord over us for a time, it will go worse with us. Anybody ever said that to your children? You're like, you don't accept the consequence now, it's going to go worse for you later. It's really kind of a thing that you go, if you don't discipline now, they're going to have a lot of things undisciplined later. It's better to do something hard now than it is to wait and make it harder for yourself later. We don't all know that with our children. God is saying to Jeremiah, listen, the best is yet to come, but it's not because you take measures into your own hands and decide you're going to fight Nebuchadnezzar. Hananiah is so mad at Jeremiah, he goes up to Jeremiah and takes the yoke off of Jeremiah and he breaks it as if he's making a great symbolic gesture. He says, look, King Zedekiah, this is what God will do for you, not what Jeremiah is. Jeremiah makes no sense. He tells us we should submit to the Babylonians at our own expense, but we should not. We should go fight. Jeremiah ended up proving to be true. In fact, they would fight and Zedekiah would be killed. They would have another exile. The Babylonians would come in and Ezekiel's prophecy says God's spirit left the temple. And in coming back in 586, they destroyed the Hebrew temple. Everything that Jeremiah said, if you would just be patient. What was Jeremiah saying? Jeremiah was saying, you know what? If you let 70 years go by where we are going to be subordinate to Babylon, God will still do great things. In fact, in Jeremiah 29, 1 through 10, it says, you know what you need to do? You need to support the Babylonians so that they prosper, you will prosper. You need to go ahead and get married. You need to build houses. You need to plant gardens. You need to continue to live your life. And in doing so, God will still prosper. And then after 70 years, what we don't like, after 70 years, God will restore you. Now that actually came true. They ended up rebuilding the temple and they came back to Jerusalem. And even if you don't know any Jewish history today, you know that we have a Jewish nation. One of the oldest and still standing nations today. And one of the smallest nations ever on the face of the earth. How is that possible? And Jeremiah was saying, you're going to go through a season. Here's my lesson for you this morning. If you'd asked me 10 years ago, I would have told you that our church was booming. We were thriving. We were on the cusp of something incredible. In 2015, we had our highest average attendance of 160 on a Sunday. In 2015, I actually was so blessed as a church. We had five different people who could lead worship. I remember talking to Will Schalter, who led our youth and had been a youth pastor in the past and could preach. Others wanted to have some, some avenue to, to start preaching. Hillsborough First Baptist Church called us and they said, Hey, 
we can't find anybody to pastor our church. Would you guys be willing to help out? So we took them in, and we have a, a relationship with a sister church, and we sent worship teams down, and we sent people down to preach. It just felt like we were just on the cusp of something great. Anybody ever feel like you get the rug full of money? Ten years later, if you didn't ask me ten years ago, if Jeremiah would have looked at me ten years ago and said, hey, it's going to get hard. It's going to be probably some of the most difficult things you've ever gone through. God is not going to keep this uptick for you to just continue to be blessed and to see things grow beyond your possible imagination. It's going to unravel. That fall, my sister passed away. That January, we had a house fire. That April, we had an internal conflict within our church. It was a couple of years before really the dust settled. 2017, we moved my in-laws down. My father-in-law passed away. By the end of 2017, my parents were having health issues. And we had to go to, I had to go to Pennsylvania. My dad was having chest pains. He had stints put in. And my mom, in her early onset of dementia, was alone and scared. And we went and brought them back. And then in 2018, we moved them down in Ruth Marion's old house. And it's just been a constant journey of you don't know what is going to happen next. In 2017, I was so excited, we remodeled this sanctuary. I thought, well, that's a good site. Did anybody remember we had worship in the fellowship hall for like three months? I think mean, it was so special. Kind of low-key, you know, we just, just had acoustic. It was so cool. But then 2020, I remember, I remember going in February of 2020, Friends, we went to the Dominican Republic, went on a DR1 on vacation. I'm like, yes, we're past this insanity. Let's go have a vacation. Let's reset. Let's have a good new life. It's February 2020. Yeah, I get China's in some trouble, but whatever. And then we get back and it was shut it down. I, I'm, I'm like, Lord, just throw me a bone. Can we do anything that doesn't, like, you just get, they get fearful of turning the corner, like, what's going to slap me in the face next? Are you kidding me? If Zedekiah would have come to me, in fact, 2020, I'll give you another one. This is absolutely, I think God's doing even though we don't like to blame God. But in 2020, when we had no church, I'm in here praying, and some of you know the story, I'm praying to God about all things going on, and there, I hear dripping. What's huh? On this beautiful stage, water's dripping. Wait a leak. So we go to get that fixed, right? Somebody said, "Come plug the leak." Did you know that part where they put the finger in the dam and then another hole pops out and then another hole? Thirty leaks. We get roofers to come tell us. You know what they told us? They go, "Yeah, those are actually warning shingles. They're bad. They were defective. You're probably not going to win a lawsuit, but just to let you know, your roof, the whole roof, is shot." In 2020, when prices skyrocketed, we're, we're covering the back sound. We have huge terms of covering everything. And I'm going, Lord, we went to the DR. I thought we were past this. I wanted to come back and be refreshed. And now you shut down the church and the roof leaks. The roof leaks at the time, there was a triple prices. 
If Jeremiah would have told me any of those prophecies in 2015, I would have taken the yoke off his neck and broke it too. So don't speak to me like that. Here's the good news. Here's what I want you to really hear in Jeremiah 29, 11. Go ahead, Jen, give me that next one. The reason this is a powerful verse is not because God is eventually going to give you good things. It's because in the bad moments, the hard times, there are good things that happen. There's always going to be good. The business leader, you know, they always say, we offer good, better, best, right? And they say, well, what if it's bad? Then we make it right. We make it better. You're always on a pendulum of opportunity to say, no matter how bad it gets, there's something good to be taken from that. Right? When we had the fire in 2016, I saw a church rally around. Allie was in between sort of life decisions. She's like, I got time. We filled the fellowship hall. Everybody brought stuff. We gave a family in need a fully furnished house. In 2017, we had the fellowship. It was so intimate and so personal. We have baptism. Some of you, even in that time span, have decided to uh, proclaim your love for God. You've been baptized. We did Shad and Shelly's baptism. Shelly came on staff for a little while, and she helped us with Hillsborough. She went down and actually started their children's digging ministry with them, coached them up. Many of you don't even know this stuff behind the scenes. That church, when we helped them, 2015 was down to eight people who were like the, the, the siblings of Adam and Eve. I cannot make this up. They're like in their late 80s. They're like, one of them just celebrated their 100th birthday. And they're looking at us going, how do we get started over? I'm like, well, you probably need to make babies. Well, not you people. You <laughs> definitely need babies, but I, wow. I mean, I, you're not Sarah. I don't know how to sign over. Church, right now, they have 45. I mean, Brack is doing some things down there that they are trying to figure out how to keep the church. I don't know that they'd be open today. And that's not because of what we did. It's just because what God did allowed us in the middle of bad times to do good things. Don't wait for the bad to get over so something good happens. Understand that there's good in the midst of the bad. While that's hard, good things happen. We go through COVID. I don't believe the roof's leaking. We can't have church. We had a couple of weddings during COVID. In fact, one of the early weddings, Matt and Kayla are like, we're getting married anyway. We're here at church. Facebook Live, that's the most attended service I've ever had. 2,000 people watch their wedding. Poor <laughs> Dylan Aubrey, how many times have it changed? Every day, last minute. And they're like, we're still having the wedding. And then I think they ask, are we going to have to mask? I'm like, How? You have the biggest wedding party of any wedding. We can't possibly mask them all. You gotta take pictures. They went through the wedding. And I still love that reception. You see what I'm saying? What Jeremiah was saying is that not prosper when it's better, prosper now. If Babylon prospers, you will prosper. You will prosper where you are. Now, that is good, and yes, it can get better, and the better will eventually be the best is yet to come. So I'm asking you this morning, are you praying that shallow prayer, God, if you take the pain and suffering, if you take the hardship out of my life, my life will be better. If you take me out of Minot, North Dakota, and put me back into the vacation place I wanted to be, you guys remember that, right? 
Like, then my life will be better. No, you got to make the most of my not North Dakota, okay? you got to make the most where you're at. And those bad circumstances actually produce good moments. It's the death and the evidence of the resurrection, right? It's God taking the circumstances where you are to give you this fortitude for your life to have good things yet to come. So yes, don't ask God to make the mountain smaller. Ask God to make the climber stronger. Stop asking God to make things easier. Start asking God for the courage to overcome more. And I promise, because His promise in Jeremiah 29, 11 says, He does have plans to prosper you right where you are, and the better of a hope, and the best of a great future in His kingdom. We started off with that song. That's what I love that song about. You are good all the time, all the time. You are good. Yes, he is. Let's pray. Everlasting God, the one who was and is and is to come, as you have brought us into this space. Some who have been a part of this church for generations, some who has maybe the starting point. That your church is still a symbol of hope in a chaotic world. And just like our faith, we don't have to decide that our lives have to be put together before we can approach you. We can approach you and let you do good things in spite of our bad moments in life. I pray, Lord, that that is something that inspires this verse in our hearts this week, Jeremiah 29, 11. I know the plans you have for us, Lord. I know that they're going to be hard. They're not going to go through easy, simple things. But I know the plans you have for us. Plans to prosper us in spite of it all. Plans to give us memories and stories. Plans to give us opportunity to see people who are so courageous. To reveal our true friends and the people we know and love. Create fortitude in marriage, in our households, to cause us to reflect on what matters and the things we've made a priority that really aren't that big of a deal, and the things that we haven't made a priority to lean in and say, God, I don't know how I missed it, but these people matter more than this frivolous thing I'm doing. May you do that work in us today, Jesus.